Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. I am so excited to be sharing this episode with Lindsay Metzlar, who if you have been listening to Solace in the City since its inception, you'll know that I actually had her on roughly three years ago today, which is wild because I can't believe it's already been three years since she first came on the pod to discuss dating and um, like the rules that she goes by when, you know, starting a relationship. And at that time, she had just started dating her boyfriend who she's now married to. So that just really shows, you know, how much time has passed, but also just how much can happen in three years. Um, and in this episode, we talk a lot about her sobriety and also about the ways of navigating dating um, when you're not drinking or if you're completely sober. So I think you all will really, really enjoy uh, my conversation with Lindsay. She always just has the best advice and – I will certainly be implementing it going forward. And I thought, you know, with Valentine's Day tomorrow, it might be helpful for any one who's listening and is uh, is dating um, around this time. Um, but with Valentine's Day in mind, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things that I've been doing for my own self-love. I know that sounds probably like super cheesy corny, but I think it's obviously important to, you know, look at this holiday as a way to celebrate your friends. But, you know, for me, it's also about turning inward and thinking of all the things that I've been doing um, to prioritize myself. And so ever since, you know, I've been reading all these books about sobriety and a lot of them talk about not just, you know, ways to cut back drinking, but also other routines to implement into your life and things to do to, be more self-loving and and to just create more things in your day that make you happy and, and, you know, give you a good start to the day. So I'll just shed light on a few of the things that I'm doing. For one thing, I've started to leave my phone outside my bedroom when I go to bed. I bought a old school alarm clock on Amazon for like 20 bucks. And um, I found it's nice just to not wake up and immediately check my phone. I've even just noticed that my go-to is literally turning on the side and like reaching for something at first. And I was like, wow, this is really sad, but um, it's good to get out of that habit and have it have my phone in a completely different room. And I don't really look at it until I've finished my morning routine. I've bought a bunch of face masks because I just really love face masks. I got an eye massager, which has been a really amazing thing that I was completely influenced on. Um, but like one thing I really wanted to talk about was my desire for caffeine, but also knowing that, you know, although coffee isn't as, you know, doesn't have the side effects of alcohol in the sense of just it's it's not a poison, it definitely is an addictive substance. And with all that I have going on, I really was trying to cut back, but I do love my morning coffee and I was kind of looking for something to, I guess, supplement it is the right word. Um, Lindsay, as you'll hear from this episode, never really drank coffee, which power to her. She has a really you know busy life and I, I wish that could be me, but, um, I actually found this little shot and don't worry, it's non-alcoholic. Um, that's improved my mornings so much. It's called 
magic mind and it's been so easy to incorporate into my morning routine. It tastes great because it has matcha and like a little bit of like lemon juice and it's so it's sweet and it's almost like my alternative to drinking lemon water in the morning because that's something I was going to try. I was going to try doing lemon water in the morning and then coffee and then I was like, I'm sure lemon water has its benefits, but just not not for me. Um, so I started drinking these little green shots in the morning alongside my coffee and they've helped me so much. Um, they get me in the right state of mind for a productive day. Uh, I usually drink one before my coffee and what I've started doing is actually pouring a little green shot of uh, Magic Mind into seltzer and it, that way like I get to enjoy it for a little bit longer because I really love the taste. Um, and then I have that alongside like one cup of coffee or even no coffee and I'm good to go and concentrate on the day. It's been really amazing and I've, I couldn't recommend them enough. And luckily I actually have a discount for y'all. If you are, um, interested in trying out magic mind, you can use the code solace 20. That's S O L A C E two zero, uh, to get 20% off your one-time purchase or what I recommend is doing the subscription because it totals to roughly 56% off of your first subscription. So again, highly recommend. I just in seeing how well Magic Mind has worked for me and my concentration, but also just being full of like healthy and natural ingredients, I would really encourage you to try it out. Um, and so if you're having uh, trouble being you know, at 100% some days, check out Magic Mind. Use my code SOLACE20. You won't regret it. It's a total game changer. Uh, but without further ado, here is Lindsay, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I am so excited to be back here with Lindsay Metzlar, who is the host of the podcast, We Met at Acme, and a real sober icon. So thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and uh, if you're watching this, um, I'm in a real podcast studio, although I had no idea how to navigate it. So fingers crossed. Um, but anyways, for those of you who haven't listened to the OG podcast interview I had with Lindsay, um, definitely go back and listen. It was recorded almost like three years ago today, which is wow. really wild to think about. So much 2020 mm -hmm, before uh, before the world changed. And um, for those who need a quick reminder, I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? How old are you? What do you do for work? What's your story? Yes, I'm from New York City. I am 32 years old, and I started a podcast called We Met at Acme about five and a half years ago. Um, wow. Before that, I was doing social media, and I grew up in New York City. Did I say that? I think so. Yeah, but you've been there for a while, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's my story, and I'm married. That's That's so crazy how much can change in three years. I mean when I was like saying this earlier, but when you first came to my apartment in Murray Hill and recorded, you had just started dating Steven and yeah. it was early days. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it was probably early-ish days in your sobriety. Yeah, it was about a year in. 
got it. About a year in. But still, that's that's quite early in comparison to being four years sober now. That's a huge accomplishment. So first, congrats. Thank and you. I know we touched a little bit on your sobriety um, the first time we talked, but I'm curious if you could tell me a little bit about, you know, why you decided to become sober, especially, you know, before this like sober curious movement has kind of taken off. Yeah, I, I kind of was, I had, okay, I'll start from like the beginning, which is that I, um, love, I never really loved alcohol growing up and I, but I really gravitated towards weed. And the second that I discovered weed I became like obsessed with it and I wanted to be high all the time and you know I thought it made me really cool and easygoing and like oh I don't give a fuck and so I like leaned into it a lot and I was doing it in college and then eventually like it got to a point where I preferred to smoke alone Mm -hmm. and then drinking got to a point where I didn't hate it anymore and I actually really found my drink of choice in tequila And so I was smoking weed and mixing it with tequila and like it was just uh, an instant blackout. Like I just would wake up the next day and not remember anything. It was like almost more powerful than like a Xanax. And that just continued on until like I was 28 and it affected so many areas of my life, but I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. Like it affected my relationships. It affected my job it affected so much and I couldn't see it and then it was kind of like when I turned 28 it all hit me that this was a big problem for me and I had wanted to stop smoking and I remember I woke up the morning that I wanted to stop and I smoked and I was like why can't I do this and that's when I realized like it's it's enough and I um with the help of like you know other sober people was able to to be done once and for all was there ever a point where you thought maybe I'll quit smoking but since that was your you know like main drug of choice that you'd keep drinking especially because you know drinking has just been so ingrained in our society yeah totally I was like why do I need to stop anything else weed Mm -hmm. is the only thing that I'm addicted to and that might have been true But once you stop one thing, if you have like that addiction, like gene, you kind of go heavily into something else. So like if I were to stop smoking but continue to drink, I would have drank a lot more. And I would have like it would have become like a cross addiction situation where like I was doing one other bad thing that thing that was bad for me to make up for the other thing that I had given up and I was like I'd rather just go all cold turkey everything yeah no, that makes a lot of sense and I think similarly like for me I am kind of doing the opposite of like first I was like okay I'll you know quit drinking and then occasionally like smoke weed but just knowing myself and especially having the self-awareness of when I am like home or like in Austin um and like I am not in a happy place like I consciously notice myself saying I like need to smoke right now Mm -hmm. and I don't want that to ever be the case with anything of feeling like oh I don't want to like be in my thoughts I want to escape so I'm going to use this substance and like 
I think there's a false narrative that weed isn't addictive, it's plant medicine, blah, blah, blah. But obviously, like, every substance, food, like, anything can be used, as you said, in a way to compensate for something that's, like, already been given up. Yeah, it's true. And there is such a narrative of, like, oh, it's a plant, oh, it's this. And you know what? For some people, maybe it is. It doesn't mean it's addictive for everyone, but it's about why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And you just said it so well. Like, you were doing it to escape. If that's the reason, if you're doing it because you don't like yourself or you don't want to hang out alone with your thoughts or whatever it is, then doing the smoking thing or the drinking thing because of it is not going to fix the problem itself. It's just going to put a Band-Aid on it, and it's just going to get worse. Yeah, exactly. And kind of similar to that, but also, um, so for those who don't know, We Met Met at Acme is a podcast where Lindsay talks with dating experts, just people who are dating, and really explores relationships and romance and love and, like, the intersection of all of those. Um, So it's kind of, like, not only commonly advised, but I think it's something a lot of people think of when they hear that someone's going sober is that sober individuals shouldn't date for at least a year after quitting their substance of choice. Um, I saw this quote from a psychologist and clinical addiction counselor named Ann Lewis who said, um, it will be easy for many to find replacement addictions such as a love addiction to replace the high of alcohol. So kind of, you know, what you were talking about as to why you, you cut out drinking because you didn't want that to be the thing you switched to. What are your thoughts on the notion that you shouldn't date anyone for that year after you stop your drug or drink of choice. I definitely agree. I think it's not just that you shouldn't date anyone, but you shouldn't make any like major changes to your life during that first year Mm -hmm. because sobriety is what's important and what's most important. And I think, you know, when I got sober, I was in a relationship and that relationship continued until I was like at least a year and a half sober so wait so then when I met you I must have been like almost two years sober yeah probably. Um, and I didn't make any changes to that relationship and I'm so happy that I didn't because first of all like I needed that stability to continue to work on my sobriety but second of all you're not really like mentally sober until at least a year in if not if not more. Mm -hmm. And the person I was in my first year of sobriety and the person I am now with four years is are totally different people. And so I think it's more like a protecting you thing is when people say like, don't date or don't, you know, make any changes in the first year. Yeah. It's interesting because I think like for me, I'm single and I've been single for a while now. And even like before quitting drinking, I'm definitely the type of person who doesn't necessarily get into relationships, but like seeks out companionship almost as a way to fill a void. And so it's been interesting kind of stepping back and like navigating these waters with the clarity of like, do I really want to go on that dating app or do I just want someone to talk to? Mm-hmm. Because I am not a serial monogamist and I don't like jump, like I don't get into a relationship right after I've been one, but I definitely like having someone to text and like having 
just like a go-to person to speak with even if it's even if I don't see like a future with that person yeah and so it's it's interesting kind of watching that and almost like try like deliberately trying to hold myself back from doing that while also knowing that I mean I'm in Austin I mean currently in Austin but I know I'm only there for a couple more months so I'm not trying to like establish anything there and then I'm moving back to New York and I think the first you know couple months of being back in New York I'm not going to be trying to jump into anything so it's like this weird balance of missing that companionship but also knowing that I don't want anything long term does that make sense yeah I mean I think it's normal to have someone that you want to text with that's that's allowed it's just like you don't want to get into make any like big changes you know yeah it's funny because I mean obviously like moving from a state to, to back to New York is a big change and it's less something I have a choice over but I think I've been in um, New Jersey slash New York for the past almost like two and a half months um, going back to Austin and then coming back to the city I think it'll be hopefully a gradual change and it just especially being in like with my parents and having that sense of support through this will be good but definitely yeah definitely something to keep in the back of my head of like big changes ahead mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so when I was speaking with this girl uh, who I had on the podcast a couple weeks ago, we were talking about her experience dating um, when she was drinking and then when she was sober. And um, it was really interesting hearing like her thoughts on it. And one thing she talked about was how when she was dating while um, she was still drinking and you know going out on dates were usually for drinks or something like to that effect, she talked about how like she would go on you know a couple dates with a guy feel a connection and then let's say third or fourth date they do something else like grab coffee go to a museum or something and she realized like I have absolutely nothing in common with this person I don't like them at all and it it was such an interesting like way to frame sober dating because the way she put it was like now she doesn't waste her time she'll go on a date with someone have a diet coke and like immediately off the bat be like I'm not building this relationship to be something that it's just not and so I know you mentioned that you know you were in a relationship with someone when you decided to get sober and then you uh you know got out of that relationship I'm curious like a if you noticed like any changes in your feelings towards your partner because you weren't drinking or smoking anymore and be if like then afterwards when you started dating again if you were attracting guys and dating guys that were different than those who you had dated previously that was a lot sorry yeah, no, no, that, those are really good questions when I first got sober I noticed things about my partner at the time for sure I noticed like his relationship to drinking, which is like a very common thing to notice Mm -hmm. when you're in a relationship. Or if you just like have friends who drink and you get sober, you notice their stuff. Like you just notice people's other people's habits now as a sober person. Mm -hmm. So I noticed that stuff. Um, And then once we broke up and I started dating again as a sober person and I met my husband, but I also, you know, was dating other people. I 
did attract different people. I mean, granted, like, I don't know if attract is the word because I was being set up a lot. Um, but I was attracted to a different kind of person. Yeah. And I think that the person that my husband is wouldn't have been attracted to me if I was the same person that I was when I was drinking and smoking. Um, so I do think that that has a huge effect on who you end up being with. Yeah. I mean, that makes a ton of sense. And it's, I mean, so true. And I'll go back to that of like, you really do notice people's drinking habits once you are removed from that. Um, but it's interesting you said like you were, you know, you don't think like your husband would have been attracted to you if you were still drinking. And 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 I imagine that, you know, Stephen's a lot different than the partners you did in the past. Did you, especially because you were being set up did you find dating to be like scarier or like more awkward when you first started going on those dates after you had been in a relationship, made this life change, and then were like, me- like being set up on dates? It was definitely more vulnerable. That's for sure. Like I felt like, you know, when you're going out on dates and you can drink, you're just kind of like the drink is like carrying you through the date. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of like a crutch. And then when you are sober like you don't have that and so you really have to rely on your own personality and like hope that this other person is respectful and it's harder it's definitely more vulnerable but I think it's easier in that like you know almost immediately if this date is someone that you want to go out with again yeah it's it's funny because I I guess like one thing I don't like about first dates or apps and all of that is that awkward first date and feeling like you have to carry the conversation and, you know, take time out of your day. And so, and I also am a person who can kind of feel like right off the bat if I'm interested in the person or not. And so I wonder if by removing alcohol from the equation, I'll, it'll make me like more sure that the person is or isn't like I'm not is I'm am or am not attracted to the person or if it will like do the opposite and be like allow for more of a slow burn mm. you know like if it will like yeah. almost be like the reverse because right I'm maybe I'm too impulsive when going on dates yeah I mean it's hard to tell I feel like the only way to tell is to try it out and like to see how you're feeling yeah so in addition to drinking culture just being so ingrained in our society going out and all of that um it's obviously been very much a part of dating life in such a way that like I can probably count on like one hand the number of times I've been asked on a date that doesn't involve like let's grab drinks especially like you know over an app or something right and so I'm wondering like let's say you were single and you were on the apps and someone texted or messaged you like, want to grab a drink on Thursday. How would you respond? Like, would you tell them in advance that you don't drink? Would you tell them on the date? Yeah, I used to always say something along the lines of, I don't drink, but you won't notice. Oh, I like that. Or I actually don't drink, but I love a good Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. Something that's like kind of cheeky that shows that like you have a personality but also that, like, you're not a drag. Yeah. And 
what were the types of reactions that you got? I'm just like curious because I think when people are confronted with other people's like life choices that are, you know, going against the grain, oftentimes they'll feel like mirrors being put up, you know, to them and the sense of like, oh, well, if she doesn't drink, like, what does that say about me? Mm -hmm. And then often leading to projection and, um, you know, like, or questions. So I guess like, what were the types of responses that you got? Mostly people being like, okay, cool. Yeah. Or like, yeah, that's great. I'm trying to drink less. I think that, you know, you'd be surprised as to how many people also keep in mind at this time I was dating, I was 29. So most of the people I was dating were like mature mm-hmm. and <laughs> like they weren't like 25 year old guys that were like what you're not gonna throw back tequila you know mm-hmm. so I think that I was lucky in that like the responses I got were reflect reflective of people's maturity um but you know I, I know people who are dating and are sober and they get a mixed bag yeah no, that's a good point. And it's interesting because like in many ways, age is just a number. And I think that's especially true in where I live now, which is Austin, where it's like called Neverland for a reason. Like people never want to grow up. You know, they're 37 saying like, I don't want to settle down and going to the bars every single day. So it's like, it's funny that, you know, you were like, I was 29 and I was dating guys who didn't want to like throw back tequila. And I'm like thinking of all the people I know who are like 39 who are throwing back tequila. Yeah. So I think that's that's a good point. But it also, you know, for example, I imagine that when you're going out to different places that aren't necessarily bars, you're obviously attracting a different type of person than if you're going to like a dive bar on a Thursday mm-hmm. to meet, you know people you'd be interested in dating yeah no totally I mean I think a lot of these conversations I was having were on dating apps or like through setups like I wasn't going to a bar to meet the person because Mm -hmm. then I'd imagine they were someone who like went to the bar all the time exactly Mm -hmm. what are some like clever dating ideas you have Mm. that don't involve alcohol there's a lot that don't I mean like my suggestions are things that you can drink or don't have to drink Mm. for so like a comedy show you can drink. You can also not drink. Um, I love a good walk, like a nice walk, a coffee. Um, there's all these like ideas for like cooking classes. There's like, you know, you can go see a museum exhibit. You, I just did this thing called Shop by Art, which is like a paintballing thing. Oh, yeah. I you know, there's that. tons of things that you could do. You just got to get a little creative um, and think outside the box, which I think is actually really romantic to do. Yeah, I It's funny because, I mean, the two places that I've lived as an adult and I'm like referring to mostly are, you know, New York City and Austin. And when I think of those two cities, I think of New York as having like infinite things to do, you know, museums, culture, theater, uh, like recreational activities. And there's just it's literally the land of like endless activities. And yet. When I lived here, so much of time was sent, you know, on the Lower East Side bars or like in the East Village, like getting a glass of wine. And it's just it's sad almost to think about that 
even in the city of like all these different activities and possibilities, people are still being gravitated towards like what they could do literally anywhere else. Yeah. No, that is sad. And then in Austin, it's, you know, there's so much nature, there's hiking, there's um, the water, there's like lakes. And like, yes, people do take advantage of those, but still it's always being like, let's get drunk on a boat or like, let's bring some beers to this beautiful waterfall mm-hmm. instead of like, let's just be present in the moment and enjoy the beauty that's surrounding us. Right. So I think like, yeah, as, you know, as you said, like those are all activities that can involve alcohol, mm-hmm. but like, I think something that people should think about is like, why does, do they need to? Yeah. Agreed. So in 2023, I'm really trying to kind of amp up my health and fitness routine from a holistic perspective. And one of the ways I've been doing this is with Oro, which is an app providing a one-stop shop for different types of virtual fitness and wellness rituals. Um, I don't know if any of y'all are fans of the account Sweats in the City. Um, When I was living in New York, I practically, you know, it was practically like my Instagram Bible and I just look up to Elizabeth and Dale so much as female entrepreneurs um, and just like what they've created. So Oro, if you don't know, was created by them. And so it has all of their favorite boutique fitness and self-care classes in one place. All videos are live, um, but they're also on demand. So you can watch it anytime uh, from anywhere. There's over 500 classes and instructors to to choose from. And they're all of my favorite types of classes like Pilates, bar, sculpt, um, and then more wellness things like meditation and sound baths. Um, Yesterday, I did this amazing Pilates slash meditation class with Natasha and it was exactly what I needed. It's freezing outside and I didn't want to, you know, pay for a day pass at the gym. And so I'm just so glad that I have this app. And again, it's also really cheap. That is like the best part. I was paying for class pass previously and it's like, okay, you, you know, pay a certain amount of month for a certain amount of credits, but those credits don't, don't get you very far, especially in like a place like New York. And so if you uh, download the app, it's only $19 a month, but you can get $5 off your first month and a free week trial by using the promo code Zoe Skur. So that's Zoe, Z-O-E-S-C-U-R, all one word, and you'll get, it'll be basically $14 for an unlimited amount of classes for a month and an extra free week. So highly encourage that you check it out. And if you have any questions, let me know. Um, So the next thing I wanted to kind of talk about was it it kind of relates to something I said earlier about, um, you know, people feeling uncomfortable when being confronted with their own drinking habits. And specifically what I wanted to talk about was like when this comes um, to friendships Mm. because – so like so for some context I've always considered myself to be like very much like a girl's girl like I love my friends so much to the point of my therapist said I have anxious attachment towards them and but I'm also very much a four quarters person where like I'd rather have four really great friends than a hundred you know going out friends yeah um and 
I think because I've kind of traveled with my flock, so to speak, since high school and then college and then going to New York, it wasn't until Austin where I was forced to really make friends as an adult. And initially, when I first got there, it was like, I because everyone's friendly, so to speak, like I made a lot of friends very quickly. And because I thought we had a lot of things in common in terms of like mental health histories and things like that, that I just felt this immediate attachment towards them. And then over time, I've realized that they were partying a lot more than I was. They were drinking a lot more and I kind of got sucked in. And then because I was like, again, holding on to that sense of community, it's like becoming a therapy session. Um, I kind of look past the red flags. It's interesting thinking about, you know, going back and being sober and like how that will be received by people who I only really know from going out and getting really drunk. Mm-hmm. And so all it is to say is <laughs> a long way of asking, I guess, like, did you see your friendships change when you stopped drinking, probably stopped going out as much? And if so, like how and how did you come back from that? Yeah, I did in terms of like the friends that I would sit around and smoke weed with, like I saw less. Mm -hmm. But I got really lucky in that I never lost any friendships in the process. There are some people that more recently have phased out of my life because they, you know, I think it's really hard when you have a problem yourself and a friend gets sober, mm-hmm. you you really struggle more than anyone else. And though like I have two friends like that and those friendships have kind of phased recently because it's like clearly too hard for them, you know? And they see my sobriety as like an attack on on them. Yeah. Um, the other friends, like I have been very lucky in that like those relationships are so strong that like they've just prevailed. Um, we don't it's not like that friendship doesn't has nothing to do with smoking or drinking, but it's gotten deeper as a result, I think, because we're not, you know, sitting around passing a joint or um drinking tequila and getting too fucked up at a dinner, like we're getting deeper. Yeah, no, that makes sense because it's like removes that false sense of connection, allows mm-hmm. you to really talk and and genu- and genuinely build upon that foundation. Totally. I'm curious, were the friends that you felt like, you know, may have been projecting their own insecurities around substances onto you, were those like newer friends or were they like childhood friends? Um, They were like older friends, but not, I would say... We yeah, one was a childhood friend and one was like a college yeah. age. It's interesting. I mean, all all of my like friends who have known me for my entire life or like since high school or college have been very supportive of this and like and also respecting like, you know, it's okay if I slip up, it's okay if, you know, later down the line I decide this isn't for me. Um, and that's just been so amazing and it, but on the contrary, there is this one um, person who I'm no longer friends with. I'll never forget when I first 
kind of thought about stopping drinking. This was like basically a year ago. It was like last January. I was going to do a dry January. And I was talking to her about it and I said, you know, I am like not sure if I have like the best relationship with alcohol and I just I think I needed some space from it, blah, blah, blah. And her first reaction was like, so are you doing this because you want to lose weight? And she knew about like my history with an eating disorder and all that. And in my mind, I'm like, first of all, like, no. And second of all, that's such a personal kind of jab to use. And like, and and it just completely untrue. And then when I said, you know, no, I'm, I'm not. I just, I don't think I have the healthiest relationship with alcohol. She's, she said, well, like, no, you're totally fine. Like you can, you can drink like, and, and then like brought up her own stuff to be like, well, like I sometimes drink, you know, too much wine and, but it's fine, blah, blah, blah. And looking back on that, I'm like, it's just so wild how influenced I was by that because I kept drinking and I, you know, didn't finish dry January. Whereas like, I always like wonder if, if she were still in my life, like right now, like how would she react to what I'm doing? Yeah. But I'm curious, like, you know, if you had any experiences like that where you were almost like shamed and if so, how you confronted those people. Yeah. I had one friend, um, actually who's going to be at dinner with me tonight who was like, you don't have a problem. Like you're fine. And it didn't come from a place of like malintent. Like she genuinely didn't know that I had a problem Mm -hmm. and she was someone that I smoked with a lot. And so I think for me to have a problem, it could have been reflective of her. And I don't think she has a problem, but I think that was, it came from a place of fear of her own stuff. And I think, you know, now I'd be curious to ask her, if she still thinks that I shouldn't be sober, maybe she does. Um, but you just, no one knows the full story of mm-hmm. you and of your drinking, of your using, whatever it is. So you don't need your friend's permission to be sober. If it feels right to you, then that's all that matters. Exactly. And I think in this case specifically, because of who this person was and like she's significantly older than I am and like, kind of that ability to exert certain like perceived authority and sense of like I am above you yeah to kind of like undercut a change that I was making that was actually good for me right yeah so um just a weird situation to reflect on yeah that's not cool yeah I can tell you more after the the pod so One thing I am very bad at is cooking. And not only am I bad at it, but I just really don't like it. I know this is something I need to work on. And I one day will, you know, really buy a bunch of cooking books and teach myself how to navigate a kitchen. But that day is not today. And so I am very thankful for Sakara because as a student with a part-time job and a, um, podcast in a field placement I don't have much time and I know that's an excuse I was making when I had all the time in the world but now I really don't have time and so Sakara delivers 
fully prepared meals to your doorstep that are healthy, nutritious, and filling. So for someone like me who needs to literally have food placed in front of them in order to eat regularly and keep up with, you know, maintaining a health, both a healthy relationship with food and also just a schedule. Um, Sakara has been such a blessing and I am so lucky that I've been partnering with them for over two years now um, to provide you all with 20% off your first purchase. So if you're like me and are just not able to fit in time to, you know, make a meal or are ordering out every single day because it's easier but it's dropping so much money, give Saqqara a try. The food's so good. I especially actually really love the breakfast. They have like really great muffins and things that um, are my personal favorite. And I also really, really love their probiotics. So two very different things, but you can order them all. Just use my code XOZOE. That's X-O-Z-O-E at checkout and I'll get 20% off your purchase. So give it a shot and let me know what you think. Um, so my lady, like last set of questions are about advice. Specifically, like what advice would you give to someone who is questioning their relationship with alcohol or weed or another substance? Yeah. I would say if you're questioning a relationship with alcohol or weed, um, I would just like look into when, like what are the times and the reasons that you're smoking or drinking. And it's not about like how much you're doing it as much as it's about why. Like what's the reason and like what would happen if you if you didn't and mm-hmm. um, you know what has it affected in your life? Just like examine all of those things yeah I think have you read the book quit like a woman Mm -hmm. I think also at least for me reading books like that and I want to read um the easy way to quit drinking by Alan Carr like once you see something you can't unsee it and I feel like after reading just like all the stuff that is deliberately concealed by alcohol companies about you know the fact that it's the second most addictive drug after heroin and like things like that made me just more sure of my decision of like, this isn't just like going against the grain of society. This is like making a choice to like add years to my life and to avoid like six cancers that alcohol causes. Yeah. There's just like a lot. I think that people don't know mm-hmm. and it's like for that reason, knowledge is power. Yeah, Totally. And also, what are some of the changes you've noticed about yourself since you stopped drinking and smoking, like both mentally, physically, et cetera? Yeah, I would say my anxiety is like almost completely gone. My anxiety, I thought, was being relieved by smoking and or drinking. And it was actually way like it was worsening it a Mm -hmm. lot. And so my anxiety really lifted in a lot of ways. And just, like, not being so irritable. Like, I can travel anywhere in the world and, like, I don't need anything. I don't need to, like, find anything when I land, like, a drink or, you know, whatever. When I have a bad day, like, I have the coping mechanisms in me. I don't need to outsource it to, like, anything. So those are big changes. And also, like, I get up early. I'm not hungover. And I work out. And, like, 
I try to be as healthy as I can. And it's just like a healthier lifestyle. Yeah. And I think it's just you're also getting so much time back. That, so like, much time. It's actually wild because someone I talked to said like you can get back your health. You can get back, you know, your money. But the one thing you can't get back is time. Mm-hmm. And so saving time, you know, not being hungover, not being high, yeah. not going out like you're it's like allows you to be more present which is something that i've struggled with mm-hmm, definitely Lindsay, thank you so much for coming back on the pod and dealing with <laughs> this crazy setup situation um where can everyone follow you listen to we met at acme keep up with your life etc you can follow me at we met at acme on instagram listen to we met at acme wherever you listen to podcasts and my personal instagram is l-i-n-d-z-m-e-t-z Amazing. Thank you again and bye everyone. Thank you.